Live, the show that is still trying to figure out exactly which streetlights in DC are powered by abortions. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Moji Alabodale. Hello, and Marie Khan. Hello. Coming up on today's show, we are joined by Amy Aravide from Avow, Texas, to talk about her experience trying to rationalize with orcs in Middle Earth. <laughs> AKA testifying before Congress about abortion. It's about the same. Same, same. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And how city governments are playing a huge role, good and bad, in abortion politics. And we need to pay attention, y'all. Plus, the brilliant stand-up writer and regular on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's Auntie Mom, Helen Hong. That's right. All that in the news of the week, which is a steaming pile of no thank you, ma'am. Starting with the breaking news out of Oklahoma, which has signed the most restrictive abortion ban in 49 years, banning all abortions, starting at what gestational age, Marie? At a at conception, Liz. Is that is that a is that a is that a gestational age, Marie? Well, no. And in fact, they phrase it a couple ways. They phrase it as conception they phrase it as fertilization i think they think when the p meets the v (laughs) (laughs) we all know jizz on the vulva does not make a baby well it's certainly they do not understand you have to go on uterine google maps and follow (laughs) that egg on its 72 hour voyage Mm -hmm. to implantation which is when pregnancy starts, we say it constantly, there's literally a pregnancy hormone that the body unlocks when the fertilized egg attaches itself to the uterus. So when you are banning all abortions and you just throw in the icing on the shit cake of, and before you're even pregnant, uh, it's fucking insane. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm just like, I don't, people just sliding into my DMs being like, isn't that unconstitutional? And oh I'm gosh. like, bitch, the past 10 years has been unconstitutional. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh my God, you're asking that in May. Uh, it's been unconstitutional in Texas since September. Yeah, the unconstitutional is not a new hurdle that the anti-choice movement has to jump over. They've been across that hurdle for some time and yeah. they're chilling. And we are going to talk uh, a little bit more about this and what it means for the people of Oklahoma and the people of Texas with Amy Arby Day when she comes up. But um, that wasn't the only shit bat that happened this week. Uh, Moji, uh, I, I texted you over the weekend. Or did you text me? I'm, I texted unclear. you because I you saw texted, this and I was like, right. wait, what? The, in Saturdays of hate reads, because Moji is as always trying to find some peace for herself. <laughs> you are. You really <laughs> It's try. a terrible plan. I should just live in the chaos and then maybe nothing bad will happen. A senator from Louisiana, 
Louisiana Louisianator, a Louisiana senator, Bill Cassidy invited us, all of us, formally to just ignore Black women in the maternal mortality crisis. He said, he said, and I quote, about a third of our population is African American, and they have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. So if you <clears throat> correct our population for race. We're not as much of an outlier as I'd like to, as it otherwise appear. But I'm like, a third is not quite a thing. You just, it's not a statistically insignificant uh, fraction of anything. It's a third. It's pretty big. Um, also, just want to point out that Bill Cassidy is a doctor uh, who owns a clinic that actually helps low-income black and brown people so to be like bitch i don't know why uh and being a doctor that does that um okay who is this we that is excluding white uh, black women you know what i mean it's like oh the we and black women aren't we a part of the the we I'm, I, my depends, ancestors have been here for like you talk to, 500 years. <laughs> What's the part of the we? God I think Bill, Bill Cassidy's <laughs> royal we is uh, is not great. Not including me. So Not including you. So okay. that was really, I mean, he got a lot of pushback for it and then tried to double down on it. And well, uh, full stop. And wrong. just some statistics on it. Um, I know, Marie, you love the statistics on this. So. Uh, it is like when you think about, you know, maternal mortality and what it looks like. Oh, it, and I know we're going to talk to some other folks about healthcare specifically in the South, but I mean, we know that black women in the U S are three times more likely to die and black women in Louisiana are four times more likely to die in pregnancy. Yes. In when pregnancy. But if you correct for race, but if you, but if you, <laughs> and also I'm just like, why stop at black women then? Like what, just, just take everybody out. Yeah. And, and what do you have left? Do you even leave white women? Or is it literally just the Cassidy's, Bill Cassidy's that get centered <laughs> in all of this? Like, again, like Moji asked, who is the we? Who is the we that we must correct for race? I know, it's almost like Bill Cassidy just should have said, you know, if we only count the people who don't die in childbirth, we're yes. doing great. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, it's honestly like what he should have just said. And he was, you know, it's been... Um, it's been just a, a, for garbage people on the block. Uh, it's been garbage getting a garbage. And, you know, last week, you know, you heard all of the hubbub about um, somebody dropping a Molotov cocktail in the window of a fake clinic and then ineffective spray, Molotov spray, cocktail. spray painting in cursive on yes. the side of a fake clinic. And everybody was uproared, but an actual clinic had real actual terrorism this week in Wyoming. Yes, a clinic that's closed. So it's getting remodeling work done in Casper, Wyoming was set to provide, getting set to provide abortion care. It was an attack by an arsonist early Wednesday morning and police know the fire was set inside. There's video and it caused some damage and now it's being investigated. Now Casper is the second biggest city in Wyoming. It's a super conservative city and it is, it, this was going to be the second option for abortion care within the state. Right now, people only have the option of going to Jackson, which is almost 300 miles away. And in Jackson, you can only get medication abortion. This would be, have been a new clinic set to open next month that was going to be a surgical option for the people in this entire state. 
So I don't, I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting how the party of property over people, they, they haven't really responded to this act of violence. I don't think, have they, has our, has our glorious leaders tweeted anything at all? No, you know, they haven't, they were too busy, um, whining and complaining about uh the people with cardboard signs outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> causing all that terrorism with candles and sharpies uh to weigh in on this uh, it's, our president totally took the time out last week to talk about that mm-hmm. fake Molotov cursive spray painting situation I just don't understand why abortion clinics are less important or do protection also the fact that it is relentless there is relentless attacks against clinics that provide abortion and providers uh outside of their homes being terrorized and flyered. And once again, let me just reiterate that your prayer outside of a clinic every Saturday is a form of terrorism. Your invasion into a clinic with prayer and will not leave is a form of terrorism. You are just harassing and harming, and yet they just can't seem to really see where we should bring that up, except for you know, these other things where where privileged people with bodyguards are being harmed by people who have say things like a little loudly with shut up. <laughs> I'm just so angry shut up about is it. The correct response. I you know yeah. it's just I just like I'm so angry about it. Um and then on top of it all, you know, we've just listed like so much of the ramifications of these abortion bans. And so getting to the most insulting part of our news wrap up today is when some fucking governor uh, offers up some kind of weird oopsie. I know, Marie, your uh, hair was on fire. Oh, this man is a personal a personal love and by love i mean oh, Kate with marie and i yes. so i can't wait for her to go off on him i can't wait either marie talk about yes. your boyfriend asa hutchinson oh <laughs> you mean my he would have to be a sugar daddy liz i mean you wouldn't have to pay him for on, it would you? Boyfriend, grandfather the man is seven okay we'll, we'll get so all right asa hutchinson arkansas's governor whose anti-abortion zealotry i have to say is only matched by his transphobia that is specifically directed at children like children mm-hmm. prime target He's back in the news this week. Apparently, Asa actually read the abortion trigger ban that he signed back in 2019. Oh, that's nice of him. He read it? What a good idea. He read it now. Good. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, yes. He suddenly has had this crisis of conscience now. His 70-year-old conscience has, it's going through a little bit of some wet dream regret, I think. Oh, When talking to a CNN reporter, Hutch admitted to second-guessing his own state's trigger law. Let's listen in. I agree with you. I've had to deal with uh, that particular circumstance, even as governor. And while it's still life in the womb, life of the unborn, it was, the conception was under criminal circumstances, either incest or rape. And so uh, those are two exceptions I have ex- recognized, I believe, are very appropriate. And what will happen Uh, As time goes on, if Roe versus Wade is reversed, these are going to become very real circumstances. I think the debate and discussion will be will continue and and uh, that very well could be revisited. Bro, bro, you signed this. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. I I mean, it's it's 
there is not anything in this bill that is complicated at nope. all, Marie. Exactly. It is it is cruelly uncomplicated, Liz. It Lay bans, it out. It bans all abortions immediately when Roe is no longer in place. They they of course throw you the tiny bone unless the life of the pregnant person is at risk, which we know is a fucking joke. Especially and who decides the risk? Right. Thank right? you. Yeah. Christian run state hospitals. That's who. If you're lucky, if you're lucky. Um, naturally, there are no exceptions for rape or incest, which apparently, yes, this this is the thing that really is keeping keeping this hutch up at night. And pregnant people are threatened with up to 10 years in prison and fines up of up to 100,000 if they break this law. And all of this is thrown in the face of, of those in Arkansas, a state that doesn't have its own dedicated abortion fund. 25% of Arkansans are in Medicaid and an almost 10% are entirely uninsured. And personally, at Midwest Access Coalition, the practical support fund where I work, Arkansas is not in the Midwest at all. We regularly support abortion seekers that have to come in from Little Rock and other areas who have to travel outside of their state, up to the Midwest, up to Illinois, especially to access abortion care. Uh, it, it is so, what is wrong? Like the, the utter gall that we now know these fuckers don't read these bills they are signing and they don't at all. He's like the second governor in what, two weeks? Who was like, oh, that bill that I signed doesn't say actually what I think it should say. Right. Why are you signing these bills? Exactly. And it's like to, to be so like, oh, I, when I see that, I, I do have experienced that before it makes me feel whether it's Alito in writing 68 pages that doesn't mention women or anybody with uteruses at any point, the erasure of everybody whose lives are altered forever because of pregnancy. And also, and this is the part that is, I think, the part that just makes me, I think I felt sick for a week about it, is that even when reducing us to these weenie garage birthing vessels to perpetuate their fucking progeny, they don't even care that the vessel is cared for. Not even a little bit. And I think of this all the time. We interviewed Dahlia with like a little while ago, and she talked about how as a lawyer, she's like, when you see these bills, there's no concern for the impact on the thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people who will be impacted by uh, restrictions on birth control, who will be impacted by obviously restrictions on abortion. There's no concern of the impact. And Alito in no way considered the impact of taking a right, a constitutional right that we've struggled to, to access, but nonetheless, it's been there for 49 years and just say, we'll be fine. And we're not fine. No, we're not fine. We're not going to be fine. And we know we're not going to be fine because we've seen it not going to be fine. And, you know, we talk sometimes about it, but we need to talk more about it. And that is the chilling effect of these laws. You can say, oh yes, you can have an abortion with the, if there's rape and incest, but we've seen what happens in Poland. People are scared to provide the care. But, and that people die. And now I think that's a good point to bring in our next guest because miscarriage is now doctors don't want to provide it. So 
You can say all you want that you're going to have exceptions for people to save their lives. But if doctors are too afraid to intervene to save somebody's life, that patient's going to suffer and die. If, there, if, if somebody thinks and could ever be traced back to maybe possibly that could be called an abortion, that's where we're at. And it's gotten worse. And I know, you know, uh, the, this article, Moji, when you read this article that Dr. Leah Torres who's going to come up in a minute, wrote, when it talked about people being turned away, people bleeding, being turned away from the hospital, it made me want to cry. <laughs> it genuinely made me want to cry. And so we fortunately are the people we are and know the people we know. And we reached out to the writer of this article and she's here to talk about it with us. Please welcome the medical director of West Alabama Women's Center, Dr. Leah Torres. Okay, Dr. Torres, thank you for coming and being with us, we've read this article about miscarriage in Alabama. Can you tell our listeners what's happening and give a summary? Yes, I will try because it's a lot. <laughs> I know. Um, and, I, and I want everybody to understand, I haven't been practicing in this state for very long. When I came here, I came here to work at an abortion clinic. Yes. However, I also was hired to expand services beyond abortion. Getting into that later. So three weeks later, after I start... The state medical board comes in, takes my license away for seven months, and then I get it back. So there's a whole gap of time where I don't practice medicine. Fast forward to now, I have this aha moment because what I'm seeing is people are being turned away from their healthcare providers in the middle of a miscarriage. And at first I thought, well, maybe they don't know how to manage a miscarriage. Maybe there's some lack of education or, you know, they're not keeping up to date on medical practice, something, but it was happening too often and in too dispersed of an area. It was a pattern. So I was seeing a pattern. And what I was seeing was people who had come to me for a medication abortion, for example, as the article kind of outlines, that's a kind of an easy thing to describe. So people induce a miscarriage. Maybe it doesn't work all the way. There's a 5% or less chance it doesn't. And you have continued bleeding and you need an intervention such as a DNC aspiration. Well, if that happens, but you came to me from four hours away, you probably should just go to your local ER for treatment. That and that's makes what sense. People do, yeah. right? You shouldn't drive mm -hmm. four hours while you're bleeding. You should go to your local hospital. And that's what people did. But then at their local hospital, they said, oh, well, you need to go back to that doctor who gave you that medicine that she's going to take care of you. We're not going to take care of you here. Is that even legal? What I'm saying to send a bleeding person away? Actively yeah. miscarrying. Like, um, you know, you know what's going on with them. That's like, why you're and sending maybe, them away. Yeah, and maybe you can't answer the legalities, but like the ethics that surround yeah. turning a patient away, highly yeah. unethical. Yeah. I mean, unethical, no doubt. And- and on one occasion, I, I spoke with the, um, the this is in the article, I spoke with the nurse practitioner and I thought this has to be, this has to be because she had an abortion per se, right? She had an abortion. So she's being shuffled off because discrimination and stigma. Turns out that's not necessarily the case that there's a common practice of, oh, you have a wound infection from your appendicitis. Go back to the surgeon who did the appendicitis. We don't need to take care of you. What? So that's right. So this is beyond, have I mentioned that the maternal mortality rate in Alabama is twice the national average? And of course, for people of color, yeah. 
That's but if you take funny. women of color out of the equation. <laughs> I, I miss that day in statistics class where you could just pick and choose the math that you wanted to do. Oh my God, I could not. Okay. So, so this woman is miscarrying. I talked to the nurse practitioner. I'm like, yeah, if she's stable, I mean, I'd prefer she get treated there, but I will of course take care of her. So the patient drove two and a half hours back to see me. And seven in seven minutes, she was taken care of. So no, is wow. that is that legal? I don't think it is, but I don't know. The point is, she got taken care of. And the other point is, what is happening? Why is someone in the middle of a miscarriage not just being taken for a DNC? It doesn't always have to be a DNC. They could also get mesoprostol. Sometimes it's appropriate to just use a medication to treat the miscarriage, so the the rest of the pregnancy gets pushed out. That's all medical jargon, right? That's all stuff that we spend four years in residency training to learn how to do. And we come out knowing how to do it. So why aren't these people doing it? That's a good question. And I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I think it has to do with how abortion is criminalized, even though it's legal. Why is this happening? I honestly... um, as I say in the article, like it took me a minute to realize what was happening and I'm still trying to figure out the why. I don't, I don't know. And I, I, the only thing that I can really figure that makes sort of the most sense is that there has been such a culture surrounding abortion being not even just elite, like it's legal, but it's criminal. So there's a, there's a, it's bad. It's, no, it's no exaggeration. It's evil. What I'm doing is actually evil in the minds of a lot of people, including healthcare workers. I've had it said not to my face, but on the phone, because you know, COVID. I've had healthcare workers tell me what I do is evil, which blows my mind. And so it is very real that I think healthcare providers are fearful of being seen as doing an abortion as, you know, abortion in medicine means like a lot of things, but vernacular abortion. So I think there is a fear that if the state board comes, looks at my medical records and then decides that this patient I took care of was actually an abortion, I could have my license taken away. Yeah. And I have to say, we, um, a couple of years back, we did a stigma workshop with abortion care providers. And what we learned was a lot of them do not tell their primaries that they provide abortion because they're afraid of the care they might receive. And so just to give you sort of a larger context of how doctors feel about when they get their own health care, even um, that part of it is really horrible. But this uh, is hard. This is just people really need to be thinking that you're having this anecdotal experiential thing and you it, this can't be only happening in Alabama, right? It's got to be in other states where this is happening. Well, I can tell you that it's also happened in Mississippi because I see those patients as well. Yeah. So, so it is happening outside of Alabama and it's happening in places, in my opinion, where abortion is seen as something criminal something to be demonized, something to scooch to the far reaches of the world and and push over here and not talk about. 
and then we'll be okay. And that's, and it's dirty and it's wrong. And that's why you have to have all these rules and your janitor's closet has to be so big because it's just wrong. So you have to follow all of these rules. I just, it's also interesting to me because I think, I think this wasn't clear to me in the article. You observed this. No one else was sort of tracking this or observing this before you. No one was like, oh yeah, we, uh, this is how we, like, it doesn't even seem like hospitals have a protocol that's like, oh yes, if it seems like they're miscarrying, we send them to the abortion clinic. It's just physicians individually deciding we're not going to treat this full stop. Yeah. You tag out, not my patient. I mean, let's be honest. This is not part of the hospital protocol. At least it's not part of the hospital protocol that they're going to put forward publicly. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean. It's just a testament to, you know, these are behaviors that are contributing to the abysmal healthcare in Alabama. Alabama ranks, what, third in maternal mortality, third worst, so like third highest maternal mortality, right? So the most, third most pregnant people dying, mm-hmm. okay? Then you've got your general healthcare for everybody which is also abysmal. I think we're 48th in rank there, something in the high 40s. So this can't be just me seeing this. Right. But I'm not surprised that I'm the only one saying anything. Mm -hmm. And to that point, uh, I think it's really important for all of you to understand that as we sit here and wait for this Roe decision to happen and what will happen to abortion care in Alabama, Leah's Clinic, Alabama Women's Center, is raising money and raising funds to be a place that no matter what happens, stays stays open to help manage and give people critical care who aren't getting the critical care they need in their communities, you know, gynecological care. And if people need management from self-managed abortion, if they do so, like they're investing in their community and the communities that other people are coming from to them. And I need you to hear that. And I need you to donate to, there's a GoFundMe that you can go to that we're putting in our show notes. And also you can donate to alabortion.com. Yes, it's also alreprohealth.com. alreprohealth.com, which we'll also put in the show notes. But as we think about this marching ahead to a post-row world, I need you to understand that wonderful humans like Leah Torres at this clinic are working to keep care. So when you're thinking about where do your dollars going to go, where do you want to go? Keep these people in your brain. We're always promoting their work because we love them. But it's crucial to make sure that people can get care in their communities. And for people who are staying and working under these shitty, threatening conditions, you're a fucking hero. That's yeah. all. You're a fucking hero, Dr. Leah Torres. Well, well, thank you. I, I honestly just, I, I sounds cliche, but I'm just doing my job. I'm literally just doing my job and I can't, I can't stand by, I can't not say anything. I mean, you, you know me, I can't keep my mouth shut. I know you're a great follow on Twitter. You are a great follow on Twitter for Uh, sure. Thanks. So I'm going to say something. I'm going to speak up and I did, you know, I've said things and I've been punished severely for saying things, but 
I'm doing what's best for people. And that's what I was trained to do. I went to a lot of med school. I went to a lot of residency. I did a lot of years of training and I'm just doing the right thing. And so here we are. Dr. Torres, thank you so much for joining us. As Liz said, you can donate to Dr. Torres, GoFundMe for fees incurred trying to provide abortion care in Alabama. And you can donate to the West West Alabama Women's Center at alabortion.com. I really like alabortion. I'm going to just keep saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank thank you so much, doctor. It's been awesome. Guys, I mean... Can you even? Yeah, you know? but we don't want to listen to doc. We don't want to trust doctors. We don't want to trust doctors who are women. We <laughs> also don't want to trust people when they say I'm in pain. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. never experienced a miscarriage, but I understand it's it's cramping. It's bleeding. It's uncomfortable. And this idea of people driving miles, hours to have relief that could be done really quickly by a doctor who is just willing to. Sir, I just I'm, uh, I mean, I have had a miscarriage. And I had it in a bathroom at a restaurant in an Applebee's, quite frankly. And um, it's really crampy and really scary. And to think that to think that somebody wouldn't help me is wild. And it just it just it makes me feel very, very afraid for um, all of the ways that physicians are going to deny people care because it could be tied to quote unquote abortion and they could get federal penalties and everything else. No one wins in this scenario. And literally people are going to start dying. And I don't want to live in a world where we have to wait for people to die to have a be a wake up call. It makes me feel really sad. And the full disrespect, like you said about, you know, these, the vessels that we will become right. As people with uteruses, the full disrespect and like lack of care for our well-being emotionally, mentally, physically is just disturbing. Yeah. And I think that's a good time to bring in our guest who is fighting sort of, you know, when SB8, that bounty bounty hunting law happened, we really saw the beginning of this chilling effect, you know, with care uh, being denied people and doctors being afraid to provide care. And I'm really excited about our next guest to be able to talk about that. Yes. Joining us now is the executive director of About Texas, an advocacy organization fighting to secure abortion access in the Lone Star State by providing education that resists abortion stigma and holds the politicians accountable at every level of government. Please welcome Amy Arabide. Hey, Amy. Hello, Amy. We must open up our conversation with your thoughts on the breaking news out of Oklahoma, being the first state in 49 years to pass a total abortion ban. Can you tell us about your work at About Texas and how this ban is now going to be affecting Texans seeking abortion care outside of the state? Yeah, I mean, we're devastated to hear about Oklahoma, and we know that this is coming for other states across the country. Um, The majority of people that have been leaving Texas to access the care they need have been going to Oklahoma in addition to the other surrounding states. So this is going to be devastating for Texans and people around the country. And I think it's just a sign of what's to come. Like people are anti-abortion extremists are so emboldened by the Dobbs draft. They're so emboldened by all the anti-abortion bans that are passing that they're just not even guising anything in constitutionality. They're just banning abortion outright. And it's just going to get worse. It's terrifying. 
Yeah, um, and it's wild because we know that since SB8, half of the the um, abortions in Oklahoma are Texans traveling to evade. And also a conservative rallying cry has been that abortion should be decided by the states. And this is one of the things that happened when gerrymandered states get to decide for everyone what they do with their body. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the majority of Texans support abortion access because we're gerrymandered and voter suppressed, like that's not reflected in our state legislature. And the same could be said for Oklahoma and all the red states across the country, quite frankly. So anyway, you were one of the people testifying before Congress last week in a about a post-row scenario, and you faced incredible badgering and racism, which was wild. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did. And To be quite honest, it took me a couple of days to recover because it was such vitriol and hate that I experienced not only in the session, which is just absolutely appalling considering these are our elected officials, but then at home, in my messages, in my voicemails, in my emails, at my work, and personally, it was just nonstop for the past week. And it's just not okay. But I do feel like I have the privilege to be able to speak about this. Um, as a person that's had an abortion, as an advocate that's been doing this work for over a decade, and as someone in Texas that that knows firsthand what abortion bans look like. So I wanted to be able to use my platform um, to kind of speak on behalf of Texans and people that both suffer from mental illness or bipolar disorder and have had abortions, because I think that's something we don't hear a lot because the repercussion is a bunch of hate and vitriol coming from all directions. Exactly. And also, you know, to eloquently have people understand that abortions don't cause these things, that people who are living with all kinds of different, um, you know, whether it is bipolar disease or depression, also have abortions. You know, they're people who have that. So don't try to place that on abortion. But we wanted to play a little bit of what you experienced, because I think it's important for people to hear that. When this heightened vitriolic, these lies are perpetuated by people and elected officials, that becomes the standard with which people assume abortion is. And in a situation that you were put in, in front of the Judiciary Committee, folks also need to know that you don't get to just say, hold up, dude, that's not right. You don't, you're not given that opportunity. So they get to grandstand and then you have to take it. And you did beautifully. So let's just play a little bit so you can get a taste of what Amy went through when trying to talk about abortion in this hearing. Let me ask the abortion advocate, Ms. Arambide, to answer my questions on this subject. Ma'am, you testified that you are, quote, unapologetic in seeking unrestricted abortion access. So I'm wondering, at what point is it not okay to abort a child? What, What age of gestation? I trust all people to determine what they can and can't do with their bodies, full stop. I also believe that human rights, um, including access to the medical care care that they need within their communities, is something that should be afforded everyone. Great. Okay. So you you support late-term abortion? I support all people and trust That means late-term abortion. Do you support partial birth abortion? In other words, the child is half-delivered, and then the woman says... My right, I want to take that one out. You support that? I trust people to make decisions about their body. Wow, okay. What what about, um, so so abortion should be allowed then, by your definition, for any reason, 
for any purpose at any stage, right? I trust people to make decisions about their body, and then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical practitioners okay. and not is, if it is, Listen, let me just ask you this question. If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct? I believe that Okay, that is and wrong. a two-year-old child, same thing, that would be murder, we would all agree that's wrong. Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is two years old, or nine months old, or one week old, or an hour old, than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the utero. What, what's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases? I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop. Wow, full stop indeed. And that describes right there exactly what this is about. There's a legal issue here, but un underneath that is a moral issue. It's about reality. It's about science, the advancement of medical technology. You're talking about unborn children and your, your full stop is that you will support the termination of that child at any time, and that is frightening, and that is why this decision should be turned to the popular will of the people, and hopefully they'll protect the sanctity of every single human life and live up to the standards of our Declaration of Independence. I yield back. It's unconscionable. I mean, it's really unconscionable to lay out such a horrific lie about mm -hmm. abortion. He's describing murder, which we already have punishments for, in this country. Also a scenario that has never happened in the history of forever. Also, I feel like when elected officials feel that they can talk this way to a person, to an advocate, um, to an activist, then of course it gives license to any random yokel with a telephone right. and Twitter fingers to say whatever they feel like saying to you and your family. It's really like they set the tone. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they demand respect because they're in a position, but they're, they're they should be working for us and they should be giving us a platform to speak on behalf of our communities. And instead, they not only like cut me off and interrupted me, they disrespected Dr. Robinson by not acknowledging mm -hmm. her, you know, her uh, title and the work that she did to become a mm -hmm. medical practitioner. I mean, it's just unconscionable. And it's amazing to me that these people represent us. Like, I don't understand how this system works. <laughs> yeah, I know. And also just like watching, if you didn't see the hearings, there was three women of color that they disrespected constantly. So constantly. it was, um, you know, Dr. Robinson. And then we had Professor Goodwin, who is a scholar on these issues of reproductive justice. And then on their side, they had um, this woman who just proceeded to literally gaslight everyone um, by gaslighting and saying that like DC is run on fetuses um, and other wildly awful things. And it was interesting to watch some of the advocates, I thought, um, at least bring up on our side, I feel like we need to school them desperately. Like, I feel like that it's, they need to learn how to talk about abortion. But I did feel like, you know. I mean, our elected, right? right oh, yes. Our advocates sounded I'm so <laughs> sorry. Our advocates were on fire. And the advocates need to educate the electeds. My apologies to the advocates who are nailing it. Um, you know, they're still saying baby when talking about pregnancies. They're still gendering all over the place. And also they are not understanding that if you don't say abortion, it's really hard to defend it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that 
one thing we repeat at a vow over and over again is that the anti-abortion groups and people use the word abortion four times more than our side does. And because they've done that for decades, they've actually been able to shape the narrative. They've been able to spread the medical inaccuracies and outright lies and people believe it. And then sometimes our side is hesitant to use the word abortion and they use euphemisms like women's health care or reproductive health care, which are all really important things. But when we're talking about abortion, we need to say the word abortion and we need to back it up with truth and medical accurate like information and stuff like that, because this is how these lies spread. This is why the Texas legislature was able to pass, you know, mandatory women's right to know booklet full of medical inaccuracies that people have to to get when they have an abortion because we've sanctioned it. You know, we've essentially allowed them to, to spread misinformation and lies. And that's not okay. Like we have no. to take back the word. And they've, and they have abdicated this false moral high ground. You know, why do we allow them to call themselves pro-life when they are, have policies that don't allow baby formula into this world, when they right. execute people, when they um, never take care of children that are born to families who have, uh, you know, financial economic needs and struggles. You know, we have this gun shit raging on. It's really absurd that they get to do that and we let them. And I just, it just makes me so mad. <laughs> I have nothing to say except that mini rant. I apologize. <laughs> I think we all feel it. Yeah, I think so too. But, um, you know, we talk, I think the one thing that I love about you and your organization and your work is the national conversation because the media just doesn't know how to talk about abortion. So everything seems to fall on row all the time, every time in this sort of like weird federal way that for those of us who've been working in the movement for a long time, we understand that Roe has not been a reality for most people in this country, especially if you're poor, black and brown, indigenous, um, to try to access abortion care. And something that you work on at Avow Texas, and that I hope will become an inspiration for a lot of advocates around the country, is how abortion policy can be very effective and also dangerous on a local level, like even on a city level. And I would love for you to talk about what the kind of things are that city government can do for good and also for garbage. Sure. Um, so in the past few years, these sanctuary for the unborn, and I put sanctuary in quotes because, you know, and um, they're just trying to co-opt the language from immigrant rights movements. Um, but they've been passing these sanctuary for life bills or ordinances proclamations in cities that don't necessarily do anything, but they're trying to just kind of put forth the anti-abortion rhetoric and make sure that people in those localities think that that's kind of the feeling of everyone in that, that community, but it's not. And in, I don't know, it's just so hard to combat, especially in a place like Texas, because we don't have people in all 254 localities and it's hard, but but we're working to combat that by trying to introduce first proclamations and you know ordinances in cities that do declare our values that abortion is healthcare that people deserve abortion access despite their zip code and their you know economic situation so in austin we passed the abortion is healthcare um, proclamation and then we passed a proclamation you know lifting up rosie's law which is a, an initiative at the state legislature that would allow for public funding 
for abortion care. And it references um, Rosie Jimenez, who died in the Rio Grande Valley when the Hyde Amendment went into effect and she couldn't access abortion care. Um, and then we were able to move on to more substantial policies, like a budget initiative that allocated at first $150,000 and now $250,000 for practical support organizations, such as abortion funds who provide travel and logistical and accommodation support for people accessing abortion care. And we had to do it that way because there's a ban on public funding going to abortion care itself. Um, but that's kind of the way that we've tried to be creative about how localities who are abortion forward and who believe in abortion rights to kind of help out the movement. And I think it's it's been really successful and amazing um, because I think it it demonstrates the values of our community, but also helps actual Texans trying to access the care they need. And how do you get a dope city council to fund abortion in a state like Texas? I mean, I think it's hard. It took a lot of work. It took years of like advocating and talking to our legislators and making them feel comfortable about abortion because, you know, it's real. There's a lot of stigma surrounding abortion care, regardless of whether they support it or not. And then, you know, we have conversations about how this actually helps people. And then we have like local advocacy days. So it took years to get there. Um, and a lot of hard work from my staff and our, our partners at like the Lilith Fund and um, Fund Texas Choice and other abortion funds. Um, but I think underlying it all is the fact that the majority of Texans support abortion care. So it's a matter of just giving people the tools to be able to talk about it in a non-stigmatizing way, to talk about it unapologetically. We do this, let's talk about abortion training and we bring it into our communities, we do it virtually and we just get people comfortable saying the word abortion. We talk about how the anti-abortion people have co-opted the word and like frame the narrative and how we have to take it back. And just to get people comfortable on, on like talking within their families or their friend groups, because I think it's something that people are hesitant about. But once they start actually talking about it, they realize that the majority of people they interact with are on our side and yes. just didn't have the tools. So that's something yeah. we're trying to do. We we believe in the work that we do, which is, you know, community education and legislative advocacy at the local and state level and also political and electoral work. But we frame it all in culture change and culture shifts because we think that if we need long term change and not just like a one off election, we need to actually change minds and we need to get people comfortable with abortion, especially when one in four people will have an abortion in their lifetime. You know, that 100%. can get pregnant. And, you know, I just want to point out to our listeners, like, Listening to you, Amy, you've talked about helping people access care, policy, and culture shift. Think about all of those three things need people and bodies, and we have to do the most always because the other side, all they have to do is work tirelessly to take the access away. They don't have to try to help people get care. They don't have to try to make sure that it's safe and accessible. None of that. All they have to do all day with their fucking time is be oppressive 24 professional professional oppressors and so remember that as we ask you to donate or help on a hotline or work on legislative policy that we're doing the most while they only have to do the most one time for one thing and they do it in a bloated massive way so marie i'm gonna have you take us out with our last question <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. Our last question, we were wondering about these attacks, they're frequently templates. They're copied across the country. How can pro-abortion activists learn to advocate on a local level? Sure. Um, they can first come to the Avow website and look at our Let's Talk About Abortion training 
toolkit or sign up for a virtual training or bring one into your community. Then they can um, look at the, there's an advocacy toolkit on the ACLU of Texas's website that we created in partnership with a bunch of organizations that helps people fight against any of these local bans that are proliferating around the country and trying to advocate with like an agenda going forward that's pro-abortion in our local, local organizations. Then I would just suggest to like, look for your local and state leaders doing this work. They're the closest on the ground to understanding what the needs are and how to, how to advocate for abortion rights. Cause I think that's so important. Um, I would say sharing a lot of resources. If you're in Texas, needabortion.org is kept as up-to-date as possible about the clinics that are, that are providing abortions, the closest clinics in the states surrounding us. And then also abortion funds that can help pay with either the care itself or logistical support like travel or accommodation. I would also encourage people to donate to independent clinics because independent clinics provide the majority of abortion care. Then you've got the National Network of Abortion Funds, which has a list of all the abortion funds across the country and actually parts of the, the world. Um, so those are a bunch of things and resources that people can do now. But I just think one of the most important things is to say the word abortion when you mean abortion. Talk to your friends and family because more likely than not, they all support not only abortion care, but probably some of them have had abortions and have feel, felt isolated or stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Amy, you gave so much great information and we're so excited because Operation Save Abortion is going to be highlighting people from the National Network of Abortion Funds, independent clinics, on the ground activists so that when we do these live streams and beam them into people's homes, we'll be able to hook them up uh, to talk further. And we're hoping that Avow and Avow's programs will be hosting some online workshops and doing some things so that we can really get people as motivated as possible. And they can see themselves in all this different kind of work and lay their hat there. So thank you so much, Amy. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Amy Arambide is the executive director of Avow Texas. You can follow their work, learn how to take action and donate at avowtexas.org. Thank y'all so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to switch gears and head into degrees of abortion. Mm-hmm. In this segment, Marie and I choose a new story from the week, and Liz has six tries to tie it to abortion, and we thoroughly trounced her last week. Okay, you know that's the this official is not, story. This is not. This does not feel like a friendly game. This feels like. Vindictive <laughs> shit fest, but okay. Let's see if you and can so, make it two in a row, Moji, and your atti- <laughs> and your attitude. Um, what's the story, kids? For us, go ahead, Marie. So this week, we are excited to learn that Laverne Cox is going to be getting her own Barbie doll. Oh. Yes, in celebration yes. of her 50th birthday, she is going to be honored with the Barbie tribute collection. I have some gripes with the doll itself. I don't think it does Laverne justice at all. But Moji said I needed to set that aside for this. So, Liz, <laughs> yes, can you tie Barbie to abortion? Can I tie Barbie to abortion? Yeah. Can I? Not Laverne Cox, just Barbie. Barbie. Just Barbie. Uh, well, I love Barbie. And I <laughs> am going to say. This is a tenuous grasp. You that. also like cheese balls, Liz. You also I like know. cheese balls. Which So <laughs> tying Barbie to abortion, I would honestly say 
I have in my one woman show an entire defense of Barbie because a lot of people shit all over Barbie because of her weird feet and her weird boobs. (laughs) But I contend that Barbie was single, had a car, had a house, had a boyfriend that lived with her whenever she wanted. Like the fantasy around Barbie was what you put on Barbie. It didn't, her dream house was hers. Like it, it, it never entered into the equation of bride Barbie. And for somebody who like hated babies and dolls growing up, like I didn't think a baby that you would have changed its diaper was a game. I thought it was a chore. That is a chore. That is, I don't understand what, I think it's indoctrination. Yes. Those are like, yeah, the diaper and uh, and the feeding dolls. That's indoctrination. (laughs) And let me tell you what, and with those feeding dolls, I was so bored that I realized as a kid that if you put the bottle in the mouth and then it peed, that means if you put the bottle in the hole where it peed, you could make it barf. And so I showed my mom my invention. One day I walk in and she's ironing and watching soap operas and I'm squirting this doll with this inserted thing in the vagina. I'm in so it's it's squirted out. So I was like, I don't want that doll. I want Barbie dream car, whatever. So I would argue that Barbie inspired me to be a single woman who did not feel shame about not wanting kids and who set me on my path to be this amazing abortion activist. Boji. I couldn't have just launched. (laughs) Honestly, can I come in as a tiebreaker here? Because I have some issues with this one. So, okay. So if you're coming in as the tiebreaker, Green, Okay, uh, no, no. I was just saying that this one was a reach. It was a reach to the Laverne Cox yeah. situation, but yeah, yeah. But it is true. Obviously, I didn't just make up all those stories for you on the spot to try to make a tie. Like I really do have on the record uh, Barbie opinions of how Barbie literally was the inspiration that I could put on Barbie to not have to be this like mom inspired figure um i think it's important i also feel like we could easily just say most people who had abortions probably had barbies (laughs) or that yeah (laughs) i know people who masturbated with their barbies too the feet (laughs) (laughs) that is not abortion you you entered the OnlyFans content of feminist buzzkill. Um, it's all pay, pay per minute forward, guys. Uh, all right, can, we can call this one a tie. I'm not calling this a tie. Liz doesn't want to. Liz doesn't want a pity fuck emoji. For real. Any of that toe fucking. Cat, you be the deal breaker on this. Oh man, that's hard. Um, you know, it's okay. <laughs> ah! All right. Win for Liz. Win for me. You know, a win for me is not a loss for you. A win for emoji. everyone. <laughs> oh my God. It's really a win for everyone. It's really a win for everybody. Uh, you know, my family did not like playing Monopoly with me because I was ridiculously competitive for no reason. Um, that seems that seems fair. Um, well, so I'm the winner. And that gives me the opportunity to tell you about our newest sponsor, SCOTUS Depends. Have your completely objective draft opinions on constitutional rights recently sprung a leak? 
Have America's godless liberals left you looking foolish and exposed like an impotent cuck at a Republican Coke orgy? Then you need SCOTUS Depends. SCOTUS Depends prevents embarrassing leaks of your draft opinions and are very discreet. You can easily slip them over your existing court briefs or adjust them to fit over the mouth of a leaking spouse. Their versatility helps keep all your oppressive opinions secret until you are ready to unload. Whether it's ruling against the human rights of shrill feminists or dismantling the voting rights of those trying to remove God from the Constitution, SCOTUS Depends makes sure your oppression is released when you're ready. SCOTUS Depends. Don't forget the special offer for Feminist Buzzkills listeners. You can get a two-for-one if you order online using the promo code ALICO. Get them at the Federalist Get them at the Federalist Society or wherever you buy your Supreme Court justices. <laughs> oh my God. So Alico. crazy. Alico. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do? Well, Liz brought the righteous ageism. <laughs> I do. I'll go bring the righteous ageism because I can. <laughs> Our next guest spent quarantine trying to date doomsday preppers, stealing her dog Xanax, and trying to teach the world that China is not the only country in Asia. It's not? It's not. Apparently she not. also had a baby, kind of. She's a regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and her comedy special, Well Hung, drops May 31st. Please welcome Helen Hong. Helen. Ooh. Oh my gosh, Helen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to see you all. I mean, my my homies. I have yes. been way too long. It has been, and you have been busy. You've been, you know, comedy, co-parenting, cancer, all the big C's. Where big do C's. we start? <laughs> <laughs> all so the big C's. C's. <laughs> Where do we start? What's going on? Too many C's, I'm gonna say. Too many C's. I could have I could have not used the cancer C. That that was a C that I could have not. Oh, that's fair. I could have done without that one. But you know what? Life hands us uh, lemons and we get cancer. <laughs> Helen, what the? But Helen, like, honestly, like, all of a sudden your Instagram's full of fun. And then all of a sudden it's Helen's Instagram and Helen's got. Talk to us about, like, how you discovered this. It was crazy. So, I weirdly enough, it was a vaccine that caused me to catch my cancer. I mean- What? Uh, Wait, the, no, hold on, rephrase yes. that. Rephrase <laughs> that, rephrase that. Yes. A vaccine saved my life in ways that I never even imagined it could save my life. So did you have a boob vaccine? Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> So I got, and it wasn't even the COVID vaccine, although I've had all the COVID vaccines. I additionally, because my sister was having a baby, which I was going to co-parent, when you have a baby, I didn't know, I don't know anything about babies, so I didn't know any of this. Um, you have to get what's known as a Tdap vaccine. Yep. Everybody yeah. does. Yeah. Everybody like, around. Yeah. Yep. Tetanus, diphtheria, and I forget what the P is. For the whooping cough. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to get that if you're going to be like handling babies so that they don't catch all these things. And so I go to get my Tdap vaccine. And then two weeks after that, I find a lump in my armpit that I've never felt before. And I'm like, hmm. And I tell my sister, I'm like, I have this weird, like hard marble in my left armpit. And she's like, uh, you need to go check that out today. And so I'm like, yeah, you're right. 
I had never had a mag- mammogram. I had never had a screening or anything. I was super slackadaisical about that. I was like, I'm young, I'm healthy, whatevs. So I go to get this, I go to get a mammogram because I'm like, I have a marble in my armpit suddenly. And the doctor who is doing the results was like, well, the marble, because you just had this vaccine, could be a lymph node. But actually, in your other boob that you didn't feel anything, we're seeing some irregularity. Oh, shit. And I'm like, okay. And then I also learned that Asian women have dense breast tissue. Did y'all know this? I did not know this. Uh. Um, Asian, uh, my Asian girls out there, our titties be thick. <laughs> our our yes. titties be dense and hard. Like who knew, right? We we thought we just had these tiny ass titties. No, we had we had thick ass titties. <laughs> so, I additionally, in addition to a mammogram, I I went in for ultrasound because a lot of mammograms don't pick up breast cancer in dense breasted women. I didn't know any of this. So I get the mammogram, I get the ultrasound, and they're like, yeah, you have cancer in your right breast. The breast that you didn't feel anything. It turns out the marble you're feeling is a lymph node. It's totally fine. It's going to go back to normal in two weeks, which it did. But in the other boob that you didn't feel anything, there's cancer there. And luckily, you found that shit at stage zero. Oh, wow. I mean, what? What? Yeah, so the vaccine saved my life. Oh my gosh. All hail the Tdap. Oh my God. (laughs) I have to tell you guys a Tdap story. So I, in my vaccine passport um, that I got from Minnesota, it lists all the vaccines you've ever had since you go back to when you were a kid. (gasps) And and it's like 1962, uh, urgent follow-up. Mom didn't get me the follow-up to that. So, yeah, when I'm one, I didn't get the follow-up. Then the rubella one, at, at, at when I'm seven, do the follow-up. I was like, what is that? The only vaccine I have is the, is the ones I gave myself. So you have COVID and nothing else. Are you suddenly going to get chicken pox? Like, suddenly yeah. right yeah. now? I mean, it's like... You're suddenly getting measles? Oh my god, I have rubella. Rubella, yes! Liz yes. is out with diphtheria. Liz, avoid, Liz avoided COVID, but she's got she's got rubella. She's got whooping cough right now. Yeah. It was too yeah. much. I was like, what kind of parenting oh is this? Oh my god. Oh goodness. Oh my god. I know it's so funny. Well, Kellen, Helen, Kellen. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I'll respond to that. I yes. am. So I was so nervous and scared. And um, I think we sent you a little present because we love you. You did. You sent me a lovely present, which I enjoy. And the baby you know, also enjoys. It's oh, cozy, God. isn't it? It's so cozy. The baby's like, ah, the baby's like pulling the fur out of it and trying to eat it. I'm like, okay, let's not pull the fur out of the blanket. Um, I have to give credit because Moji is the gift whisperer. Oh, Moji. Anytime we I... see any of our besties on Instagram or something having an issue, OJ's like, we got to get Helen something. And then she'll find like some dope thing. No, that actually, Helen, the blanket I sent you, I own myself. And I was like, this is what you need when you need some cozy on the couch. Uh, You're absolutely (laughs) right. And it was very cozy and I appreciate it. And the baby loves it too. And the baby's now trying to eat it. Thank you. My uh, six-year-old, my six-year-old stole mine. It now lives in his room. (laughs) So I I mean, that's what happens to nice things. Either your pet wrecks it or your child takes it. 
um, which is why I have abortions and why do I have pets? I'm unclear. <laughs> I do, but like, let's just talk about your co-parenting because this bitch right here. Yes. Have she and I have had conversations ad nauseum mm-hmm. about never parenting. Hello. Single for life. Hello. Not happening. Preach. Not doing it. Liz, Amen. you would put me in a road, run me over before I'll have a kid. <laughs> Cut got- to the most unconventional parenting story <laughs> ever. Lay that shit out because it's I great. Literally, I literally all my life was like, I'm a career woman. I'm a business bitch. I am, I am a narcissistic. Hello. No kids, no family, never. And the universe was like, hold my beer and, <laughs> and this baby. <laughs> Trapped by your sister. Oh, this bitch, my sister, this bitch fucking catfished me into becoming her baby daddy. Like, the fuck? So basically, I talk about, and I talk about this in my special, Well Hong, hello. Um, my sister and I bought a house together in the middle of lockdown because we were both quarantining alone. We were lonely and sad and um, her job, she was living in San Francisco at the time. Her job went completely remote and she was like, I'm not paying $4,000 for a fucking studio in San Francisco. So she's like, she comes to me and she's like, do you want to buy a house together? And I was like, bitch, you the one with the good credit. Okay. Um, so she's like, yeah, let's do it. So we buy a house together in LA. We move in together. The second we move in, she's like, surprise, I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh, Whoa. that is cold. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> you used real estate. Yeah. You have bitch. legal grounds there. No, this bitch used real estate to get me to be her baby daddy. Wow. Like, no joke. Yeah. So... We move in. So we move in. And, you know, she's not that diabolical. Like, the whole plan originally was we were going to buy a house together. She was going to just go in as an investment property. And then she was going to go live her life in San Francisco. I was going to live in the house and then rent out the other room. And she, you know, it would just be an investment property for my sister. And I would, you know, pay half the mortgage, whatever. So that was the plan. And then she gets pregnant. And she immediately is like, yeah, I'm a single mother by choice. I can totally do this myself. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Bitch fell asleep like her entire first trimester. And I was like, oh, you're going to die if I don't take care of you. And your baby's going to have all kinds of birth defects. So, (laughs) (laughs) Like, your baby's going to be fucked up if I don't take care of you right now. So, like, what started out as, like, I'll just move down there for a couple of months, help set up, you know, buy this house and set it up. And then I'm going to go back to my life in San Francisco. But because she was pregnant and, like, could not fucking function, she ended up staying and I ended up taking care of her throughout her pregnancy. And then she was like, well, maybe I should stay and you can help me with the baby. What? (laughs) But, you know, she's my sister. I love her. We're super close. And she needed help. And this is me stepping up. And, man, do I fucking deserve aunt of the year every year for for my goddamn entire life. 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now I'm like basically co-parenting a baby, even though I am the least maternal bitch on earth. And I'm like, what is even like, I don't know anything about children. I don't know anything about parenting. My sister, on the other hand, is like the best mother and like absolutely should be a parent. And she's the best parent. And I'm just like learning by like she's giving me the TV guide version of everything I need to know. And I'm just like helping keep this little person alive. But you are also a really kind, nurturing person. And so while... I've been on the receiving end of it as an adult. I think that, um, I just think that like a little person that you could squish like a bug by accident because it was on the couch probably scared you. (laughs) That was it. Like look before you sit down and you're good. Like I feel like that's all you needed. And don't, don't give it steak or corn on the cob. Like that's all you need to know. Like, I literally was like, well, I know you can't give dogs grapes. Can you give babies great? Like I literally, like I knew nothing. no. Also no, but for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Did, I, did I know that? No, I have no idea. Did you know that you're not supposed to give honey to an infant? I yes. Didn't. I was like, honey's great. Let's give the baby honey. And my sister was like, um, let's please don't kill. Please me. don't give the baby honey. Right. 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 Don't kill my baby. That I like. Here's some honey on top of a mango. Just like go to town. Here's some honey on top of a grape. Great with some macadamia nuts, whatever, luck, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all the choking hazards, all the choking, all the choking hazards. <laughs> you know, Helen, we kid, but like one thing that I love about you is you are living proof. Um, you openly talk about your abortion. You had it 25. That's you, right. You made an incredibly beautiful video with a bunch of other folks uh, a while back for us. Um, everybody sharing their abortion stories for that person uh, in the, in the, in the clinic who may be alone. And it was really powerful. And like, like so many parents that I have talked to, um, once they parent their resolve in being uh, pro-choice and pro-abortion becomes much stronger. Talk yeah. about why it was important for you to tell your story and how you got to a point. I'm always loving to hear how you got to the point where you felt comfortable talking about it. Yeah. You know, I have had recently, I think in light of all the stuff that's going on in the country, an epiphany about the shame surrounding abortion. Like, I never second-guessed my decision to have an abortion at 25. I never second-guessed it. I never questioned it. I never thought, is this the right thing? I always knew I should not be a mother. I don't want to be a mother. I shouldn't be a mother. I am extremely impatient. I am not maternal. I am career focused. Like, I should never be a mother. And I even knew that then. And um, the only reason why I felt shame around it is because of societal pressure to feel shame. And now that I'm like this much past it and I'm raising a kid and I'm seeing how much it takes to raise a kid. I am more certain than ever. I have never regretted it. And I didn't feel shame about it until all of society told me that I should be embarrassed and ashamed and regretful. And and now I'm like, no, I don't feel any of that. I'm only fe- I was only feeling that then because I was 25 and young and dumb. And y'all told me that I should feel shame about it. But now that I'm no longer 25, fuck y'all. I have no <laughs> shame about it. I am not embarrassed about it. I am proud of the decision that I made because it, it, it 
caused me to become the person that I am, the successful woman that I am, and caused me to be in a position now where I can help my sister raise a baby. I can only do that and be a better parent now as as far as I am a parent. I'm definitely plan B in the parenting scale over here at my house. <laughs> I'm, I'm the B plan parent over here. And plan B in life. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I am not the primary caregiver. I am definitely the backup caregiver here. But even then, the only reason why I'm able to do that is because I had that abortion at 25. And because I am able to, I was able to take care of myself and and my loved ones and the people around me and my career and the things that I needed to be in a position where I can take care of other people that never would have happened had I been forced into motherhood at 25. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. So this whole thing, like raising a kid, and you're absolutely right, Liz. I know a bunch of mothers who had abortions before they became mothers. and I'm better- one of those mothers. Yes. <laughs> and those mothers are better mothers for it. Because you, mothering, parenting is so fucking hard. And now that I'm in it, I can tell you, whatever you've heard, it's harder. It's harder than all the stories you've heard. It's it's the sleep deprivation, the exhaustion, the 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 like sheer madness of it. There's no you cannot logic a fucking 11-month-old. Sorry, you can't. You cannot logic your way out of uh, you know talking to a toddler. Like it's just not happening. And so you need to have that patience. And you need to have the wisdom of like being ready. Right. You just can't and do it when you're not ready. You really that, can't. All of that, that the ability to be ready, the ability to have choice that gave you the opportunity to do your awesome uh, comedy special. Of the three of us, I was lucky enough to see this. Yeah. Well, Hong. Rub it in, Marie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was Yeah, great. just position yourself as better than us, Marie. It, it was actually a very fun night. There were drink tickets involved. I I was wine dine 69, practically. I will tell you. I was so happy. It's going to be dropping May 31st. And I wondered if you could talk and close us out with what helps you wake up every day and do your comedy and what you're going to be working on next. I, um... I- Shit, I can't even tell. I'm like so sleep deprived of this baby. I'm like, what was your, I'm sorry, what was your question? Um, I just, I just want to, you know, I, I'm acting, I'm, I'm just trying to get to the point of world domination that I can be like so famous that I can say all the stuff that I'm saying to you to a worldwide audience, you know, um, and just, you know, I want to, I, I have huge aspirations to be the next Mindy Kaling or Oprah. You know, I, I want to like be a TV star and a movie star and a stand-up star and do all these things and just have a large enough platform so that when I say, y'all, I am not fucking embarrassed about having an abortion at 25. It reaches a large audience and people can, can, you know, People can't, women who are like, huh, what do I do? Like, they can learn from my experience and be empowered by my story. You know, uh, South Korea just legalized abortion in 2019, um, it, which is crazy to me to hear that all these other countries that are, quote unquote, less developed than the United States are going in the 
direction of progress. Meanwhile, we're fucking going back to 1950s over here. Yeah, um, it's really yeah. just crazy. You you went back to 1950s on May 7th when you performed at the Back Alley Comedy Theater. <laughs> I was literally like trying to find Helen and I'm like, Helen's performing at the Back Alley. The metaphors of what is happening are so rife and Ring. so rich. Oh bring my your, God. Bring your hangers, ladies. Oh my God. God. Helen, we miss you so much. I cannot wait to get you back out on the road with us again so we can do those good works. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know Helen, what is wrong with you? Um, <laughs> you will get to know her because her special Well Hong drops May 31st. Yay! You can follow all of her shenanigans on the socials at Funny Helen Hong. And HelenHong.com is keeping up with all of her shit also. Helen, thank you for being our friend. Thank Thank you you. for being such a champion. And thank you for just being an inspiration to everyone. We love you. Same. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, Helen. And thanks again to Amy Arabide and Dr. Leah Torres. Follow About Texas on social media at About Texas and donate online at AboutTexas.org. And to support the work of Dr. Torres, you can find links to donate to the West Alabama Women's Center and to her GoFundMe in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest repro news, follow us on socials at Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and at Abortion Access Front on YouTube and TikTok. FBK Live is edited by Remy de Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. We want to hear from you. If you send us an email and we read it on the air, we will send you a shirt. So drop us an email at podcast at aafront.org. Also, we can't say it enough, save the date, July 17th, with all of us panicking about what to do after the fall of Roe, AAF has a plan at Operation Save Abortion. It's not a march, it's your training day. Learn all about it and sign up at operationsaveabortion.com. And while you're there, grab some cool merch. And next week, we have a special pod. Last Sunday, a bunch of very funny cis white comedians did a fundraiser for us called Bro v. Wade. Liz sat down with them to talk about abortion and why they stand with us. So tune in to hear Liz chat with David Cross, John Glazer, Dave Hill, John Fugelsang, Dean Obadala, and Josh Gondelman. Lots of Dave and John's there. A lot of Dude, David John's. Yeah, yeah. You got half, that's the New Testament right there, practically. <laughs> And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Row is burning and together we can put the fire out. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. And we leave you with a woman who is illuminating her entire ass with the lights powered by, we just can't. Human persons, from their earliest days, poisoned in the womb and dismembered, torn limb from limb. Bodies thrown in medical waste bins and in places like Washington, D.C., burned to power the lights of the city's homes and streets. 
Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.